Right on radio. Right on radio. Again, I thank you for this opportunity. And again, my conjecture is and remains JFK was not assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. What was proven on November 22nd, 1963 at that time was the legal definition of conspiracy, the attempt to assassinate the president of the United States of America. This is now part seven of this multi-part series. And as I prepared this PowerPoint called President John F. Kennedy Assassination Attempt, November 22nd, 1963, to assist with this further deep dive, including applicable visual photos, video clips to accompany my remarks, even deeper than my previous remarks. Ready to continue? And again, as we proceed, I want to hear your, your audience's questions, comments, aha moments along the way to make sure I've already addressed the questions later in the series and to pulse where you are as well, particularly your aha moments, okay? Oh, it's going to be get, getting very interesting, all the twists, turns, and where we end up, surprises and aha moments all along the way. So we will now go to part seven of the PowerPoint to continue our journey. Now for this part, I would like to end where I began, really began, over the course of writing my first book, because of the direct connection I had with JFK, and then finding out about Christopher Fulton, his connection to JFK, and the overlapping intersection of our two stories, being the long weekend of August 7, 1998. August 7, 1998, being the most horrific day in my life in regards to the East Africa Embassy bombings, and August 9, 1998, being the date of Christopher Fulton's arrest. I started doing deeper reflection on all my past experiences, who, what, where, when, why, to include this JFK association, even though I was not even born at the time, but obviously there was a direct linkage connection I was not aware. Never being a JFK assassination conspiracist, there were always two points that stuck, stuck with me as being odd. Oswald's black sweater, which we've now addressed previously, and I'm more at ease with, and that being Oswald was never assassinated and the black sweater was needed to cover the lack of blood when shot, putting shot in quotes. The second point bothered me so much that I publicly and openly mentioned and referenced it even in my very first live podcast interview on Friday, March 12th, 2021. And that was this, why did Jackie keep her bloody pink Chanel suit on? I know a lot of people say because she wanted everybody to see what they did to her husband. And I get that. But as I stated at the time and to this day, I would offer to you, it was to maintain chain of custody so that nobody could take the Chanel suit away from her, to tamper with it, so that they could test the blood, putting blood now in quotes, especially since the casket information is now out, particularly since my public on-the-record conjecture as well that JFK was not assassinated, and which we now also addressed previously, and I'm now more certain than ever before regarding the usage of the Hollywood squib effect, and the blood, in quotes, involved may have been animal's blood, ketchup even, and that JFK was not assassinated. 
though I initially thought it was JFK's body double that was killed in the limo, not JFK. And then with all this coming to light that it was possibly a JFK stuntman, not JFK that was in the limo that pulled the Hollywood squib. But the more I assessed the situation, and if I were JFK in his shoes, knew what he was attempting to do, the objective of the mission, if you will, I am now of the opinion that it indeed was the real JFK in the limo that pulled the Hollywood squib because of the very small, limited, tight-knit JFK inner circle that knew what was really at play involved occurring to prove legal definition of a conspiracy to catch and to finally catch their target in the act, given the immense national security matter, the implications involved. I went through a similar thought process regarding Jackie and whether or not she was the one actually in the limo. First thinking a body double, and now with more consideration, I am now of the opinion that it was indeed Jackie in the limo. But with this additional context, though I've remarked on this previously, it's in regards to this Netflix series, The Crown. but particularly but particularly and specifically season 2 Episode 8. And now it's not showing this for me. Interesting. Let me try to fix this. Let's try this again. I had it prepared. It's amazing how the things that I have pre-done change when I go to show them to you guys. Though I've remarked on this previously, it's in regard to the next flick series, The Crown, but particularly, specifically, season two, episode eight, called Dear Mrs. Kennedy. I wanna share again. Let's focus on Jackie, but through this lens, so have you ever watched Netflix, The Crown, in particular, the season two, episode two, eight, called Dear Mrs. Kennedy? The original release date was dated December 8th, 2017. If so, what did you think? And again, if no, I highly recommend it. Again, I don't know for sure if what all is depicted is accurate or not, but this I find quite curiously coincidental. The JFK video, JFK Truth and the Mob CIA and the Eight Paid Assassins YouTube video with a British producer publication date 
is May 11, 2017. And this Netflix, The Crown, particularly and specifically season two, episode eight, called Dear Mrs. Kennedy, again, was originally released less than seven months later on December 8th, 2017. And watching this episode, episode eight of The Crown, provides some additional context and insight, very pertinent and relevant in so many ways. For example, were you aware that Queen Elizabeth decreed that the bell, Big Ben, in Westminster Abbey be rung as it had for late members of the royal family after the supposed assassination attempt? With that, I would like now to go back and show the video clip accordingly. This is, again, the video, the JFK Truth, the Mob, CIA, and the Eight Paid Assassins YouTube video, publication date, May 11, 2017, by Francis R. Connolly, a British producer. So from 946 to 1016 of this video. Don't merchant bankers and military industrialists had assembled the all-time dream team of professional killers. They were there to make absolutely certain their king died, and the two men who in later years would steal his crown, Richard Milhouse Nixon and George Herbert Walker Bush, smiled from the sidewalk as they exchanged winks with Jack Crichton. There was no way Kennedy could escape now, and they knew it. The background of all the radio operators, assassins, and handlers, intriguing as it is, it's the reference to JFK as their king, to make certain, quote, their king died. Hmm. Reference as to, quote, who, later who would later steal his crown, quote, Richard Nixon and George H.W. Bush. I realize the commentator is British. But these references to the, their king, who would later steal his crown, are puzzling to me. And now we're going to play this from 11 52. The home of the brave and the land of the free was about to discover that it wasn't what it thought it was. As the president's car made the turn onto Houston, government agents who had sworn an oath to uphold their country's democratic principles waited alongside mafia killers to murder their own commander-in-chief. One of the men they were working for, Sam J.
He then continues, the commentator, quote, America, the home of the brave and the land of the free, was about to discover that it wasn't what it thought it was. Government agents who had sworn an oath to uphold their country's democratic principles waited alongside mafia killers to murder their own commander-in-chief, end quote. Now, as I indicated previously, isn't it interesting the royal references made by the British commentator? Again, I highly recommend for those that have not seen it to watch and watch for this very closely, both the Corian episode, particularly season two, episode eight, and this JFK video. Now, are you aware of this? that a British paper got an anonymous call just before the assassination, or rather the assassination attempt. This is absolutely fascinating, given the British filmmaker, Nick Quested, that testified during our first live January 6th congressional hearing on June 23rd, 2022. Yet another rabbit hole we can go down at another time. The January 6th congressional hearing deception. But this article But this article is from theguardian.com, posted on October 26, 2017, by The Guardian staff. It's called JFK Files, British Paper Got Anonymous Called Just Before the Assassination. A reporter on the UK's Cambridge Evening News received an anonymous call telling him to ring the US Embassy for some big news 25 minutes before the murder of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, newly released documents say. Newly released documents say a memo written to the director of the FBI from the deputy director plans of the CIA tells of the same strange phone call made to the unnamed senior reporter on the paper. Dated four days after the president's death, it reveals how far the investigation into the events in Dallas reached. The memo reads, quote, the British Sec Security Service, MI5, has reported that at 18.05 GMT on the 22nd November, an anonymous telephone call was made in Cambridge, England to the senior reporter of the Cambridge News. The caller said only that the Cambridge News reporter should call the American embassy in London for some big news and then hung up. After the word of the president's death was received, the reporter informed the Cambridge police of the anonymous call and the police informed MI5. The important point is that the call was made according to MI5 calculations 
about 25 minutes before the president was shot. The Cambridge reporter had never received a call of this kind before, and MI5 stated that he is known to them as a sound and loyal person with no security record. The memo somewhat cryptically also states that, quote, similar anonymous phone calls of a strangely coincidental nature have been received by persons in the UK over the past year, end quote, particularly in the case of a Dr. Ward. You mean like Charlie Ward? It ends, quote, the British Security Service stated its desire to assist in every way possible on any follow-up investigations required within the United Kingdom, end quote. The memo is signed by Deputy Director James Angleton. On Friday, reporters at the Cambridge Evening News said they were sifting through its archives to try and find any reference to the call. Kennedy was assassinated as his motorcade passed through Dallas on November 22, 1963. Lee Harvey Oswald, a former U.S. Marine, was charged with his murder. Oswald himself was shot dead two days later by nightclub owner Jack Ruby. Now, were you aware of this? Again, this is an article from the Guardian dot com dated October 26, 2017. Curiously timed given the December 2017 release of The Crown, specifically episode eight of season two, and this May 2017 JFK video publication. Of a British producer. With that, I'm now going to share this. This is U.S. Secret Service Roy Kellerman's Wikipedia page, which I initially accessed, internet accessed on October 19, 2021. Roy Herman Kellerman, March 14, 19, born March 14, 1915, and died March 22, 1984, was a U.S. Secret Service senior agent who was assigned to protect United States President John F. Kennedy when he was assassinated on November 22, 1963 in Dallas. In his reports, later testimony and interviews, Kellerman outlines in detail his role in the immediate aftermath of the assassination, controlling key evidence of the crime and guiding doctors during the official autopsy at Bethesda Naval Hospital. Kellerman, a new Baltimore, Michigan native, graduated from high school in 1933 and worked for the Dodge Division of Chrysler sporadically from 1935 until 1937 when he was sworn in as a trooper for the Michigan State Police. Kellerman joined the Secret Service in Detroit just before Christmas 1941 
transferring temporarily to the White House detail in March of 1942 and permanently one month later. In 1965, Kellerman was promoted to deputy special agent in charge, replacing Floyd Boring. He retired from the Secret Service in 1968 as an assistant administrator. Kellerman died in St. Petersburg, Florida on March 22, 1984. Actions during assassination. As the assistant special agent in charge of November 22, 1963, shift team number three, Kellerman was riding in the front passenger seat of the presidential limo. The driver was Secret Service agent William Greer. Like all Secret Service agents assigned to, to protect the President of the United States, Kellerman was trained to use his own body as a shield, taking a bullet if necessary in the line of duty. Kellerman, along with Secret Service agents William Greer, Clint Hill, and Rufus Youngblood, provided testimony to the Warren Commission in Washington, D.C. on March 9, 1964. Kellerman testified, I turned around to find out what happened when two additional shots rang out and the president slumped into Mrs. Kennedy's lap and Governor Colony, Colony, Connolly fell to Mrs. Mrs. Connolly's lap. He further testified to the Warren Commission that after he remembered hearing the first audible muzzle blast or mechanically suppressed fired bullet, about shockwave and the assassination then ended in a, in a flurry of shells coming into the limousine that reminded him of a jet sonic boom's sound quickness. The House Select Committee on Assassinations declared in 1979 that the Secret Service was deficient in performance of its duties at the time of the assassination and that the President Kennedy did not receive adequate protection in Dallas Regarding the conduct of Secret Service agent Roy Kellerman, the HSCA noted, no actions were taken by the, by the agent in the right front seat of the presidential limo. Roy Kellerman, to cover the president with his body, although it would have been consistent with Secret Service procedure for him to have done so. The primary function of the agent was to remain at all times in close proximity to the president in the event of such emergencies. Controller of evidence. Kellerman's reports and later testimony indicate that he was with the president without interruption from the motorcade's departure from Love Field through the entire autopsy and embalming and up until the president's remains were brought back to the White House. In photographs and footage of the casket being loaded aboard Air Force One at Love Field, and later upon its arrival at Andrews Air Force Base, Kellerman can be seen directing the movements of the president's casket. Kellerman maintained his composure immediately after Kennedy's assassination, managing events as they continued to develop. Kellerman testified that he played a role in the autopsy at Bethesda, including guiding the doctors toward specific conclusions regarding bullet locations. Kellerman also took personal custody of the x-rays and the photographic ne negatives 
at the conclusion of the autopsy and took them with him as he rode in the ambulance that transported the president's casket to the White House. When asked by the House Select Committee on Assassination staff why he wanted this material, he said, quote, the point is he was our man. Everything belonged in the White House, end quote. With Kellerman in charge of local events and with the assistance of Greer, the Secret Service maintained custody of the most important evidence of the crime, including the president's body, clothing, limousine, forensic tissues, and autopsy photographs and x-rays returning everything to the White House before the sun rose on November 23, 1963. According to an interview given in 1981, after John Hinckley Jr.'s attempt to assassinate President Reagan in 1981, Kellerman did not believe there was a conspiracy to assassinate Kennedy. However, in 1994, Vanity Fair published an article by Anthony Summers and Robin, Robin Swan in which they quoted Kellerman's widow, June, as stating he, quote, accepted there was a conspiracy. Now, this, this page was last edited on 30 March 2021 at 753 UTC on the date that I accessed it. And again, now we're going to read this applicable Wikipedia page. The U.S. Secret Service William Greer Wikipedia page, which I internet accessed on October 19, 2021. William Robert Greer, September 22, 1909 to February 23, 1985, was an agent of the U.S. Secret Service, best known as being the driver of the President John F. Kennedy's presidential limo in the motorcade through Daly Plaza in Dallas on November 22, 1963, when the president was assassinated. Greer was born on a farm in Stewartstown, County Tyrone, Ireland, and immigrated to the United States in 1929. He worked for over a decade as a chauffeur and servant to several wealthy families, including the Lodge family in Boston and a family in Dobbs Ferry, New York. During World War II, Greer enlisted in the U.S. Navy and was assigned to the presidential yacht in May of 1994. After his discharge in 1945, he joined the United States Secret Service on October 1, of that year. Greer's duties brought him into close contact with Kennedy, and he can be seen in several pictures with the Kennedy family. He chauffeured the president on many occasions, including in Dallas. As with all agents involved, there has been much speculation about and criticism of his actions on that day. Greer testified before the Warren Commission on March 9, 1964. Greer retired on disability from the Secret Service in 1966. 
due to a stomach ulcer that grew worse following the Kennedy assassination. In 1973, he relocated to Waynesville, North Carolina, where he died of cancer. Secret Service procedures in place at the time did not allow Greer to take action without orders from senior agent Roy Kellerman, who sat to Greer's right. Kellerman has stated that he shouted, let's get out of line, we've been hit, but that Greer apparently turned to look at Kennedy before accelerating the car. No agents were disciplined for their performance during the shooting, but privately, Jackie Kennedy was bitterly concerned and, I mean, bitterly critical of the agent's performance, Greer's in particular, can, comparing him to the Kennedy's children's nanny. Greer later apologized to her. This page that I internet accessed was indicated as last edited on 14 September 2021 at 540 UTC. The Lodges, the British Connection, Greer from Ireland, again, the Irish Connection. Now, isn't that interesting? Any thoughts? Well, how about this one? Based on my previous remarks and as a reminder, the last surviving U.S. Secret Service agent that was there has firsthand knowledge, awareness regarding the November 22, 1963 JFK assassination attempt, the assassination attempt of our President of the United States of America on November 22, 1963, is Clint Hill. Clint Hill, U.S. Army Counterintelligence, Clint Hill. So are you ready? Jackie, the bloody pink Chanel suit. Significant, in fact, that here's a December 18, 2017 Newsweek.com article that I'm now gonna share with you. Again, this article only months after the Guardian.com article Dated, oh, made just prior to the JFK 22nd by M. Jack Jacqueline. The Crown, season two, syncs up British history with American. 
American pop culture by dedicating an entire episode, Dear Mrs. Kennedy, to Queen Elizabeth II's relationship with Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. The episode speeds up Elizabeth, Claire Foy, and Jack fitting their, their entire relationship into a single hour. By the end of the episode, Jackie appears on television. John F. Kennedy, she's still Chanel dress on Buckingham Pan political gestures. So how did Jackie and Elizabeth treat each other in private? As with all the subjects, the crown touches, it's difficult to say for sure whether Netflix's drama takes liberties with connecting the dots. The dots, however, are pretty realistic in this episode. We don't know, for instance, if Jackie insulted Elizabeth at a bar because the first lady was allegedly high on a cocktail of drugs. We do know, however, that the infamous Max Jacobson, a.k.a. Dr. Feelgood, visited the White House more than 30 times between 1961 and 1962. Feelgood's other clients included Marilyn Monroe, Truman Capote, and Tennessee Williams were given injections of highly addictive liquid methamphetamine and steroids loosely masked as vitamins. It's not confirmed, though, it's plausible that Jackie may have been under the good doctor's influence while visiting the Queen. That said, historians agree that the Queen resented Jackie before they even met. Despite being the same age as Elizabeth, Jackie was considered a style icon, not to mention almost a modern American queen in her own right. As Vogue describes, the exact nature of the rivalry between the two women is among the most plausible plot lines on the crown, thought Robert Lacey, the show's historian, says, quote, I think that the personal tension between Elizabeth and Jackie is speculative. I'm not saying it didn't exist. You can't say it's false and you can't say it's true, end quote. Still, the crown does pull some punches. The show ignores, for example, the complex passive-aggressive situation that preceded Jackie and Elizabeth's meeting. The queen hosted a dinner for the Kennedys, and she knew Jackie would want to be photographed with her stylish sister, Princess Margaret. So Elizabeth kept the princess off the guest list. That was on top of Elizabeth's refusal to allow Jackie's sister and brother-in-law, a twice-divorced man, to attend the dinner. All of that added up to the tense situation before the Kennedys even reached the palace, which explains a, a bit more of the ill feelings between the two women on display in the crown. The crown also underemphasizes the harrowing nature of President Kennedy's assassination and the way both Elizabeth and Jackie responded to his murder. On November 22, 1963, while President Kennedy was riding with Jackie in a motorcade in Texas, he was shot twice and killed. After the first shot hit Kennedy in the upper spine, Jackie reacted by trying to put her arms around her husband. A second bullet entered the back of Kennedy's skull, spraying Jackie with blood, bone fragment, and brain matter. Jackie later explained that she had tried in her immediate panic to climb onto the trunk of the car she and her husband were riding in 
in order to grab the piece of his skull that was sliding down and onto the street. According to his memoir, Secret Service agent Clint Hill ran up to the car and shoved Jackie back into the seat in order to protect her. In the final few scenes of the episode, Elizabeth and the Queen Mother watched Jackie on the television climbing onto a car while she's still wearing her pink Chanel suit, splattered with her husband's blood. That image is real. Jackie defiantly wore the bloody suit while standing in the photographs of Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson being sworn in as president as on Air Force One, telling the aides who tried to help her, let them see what they've done. The Crown doesn't suggest that Elizabeth knew the full horrors of Kennedy's assassination. But what is clear on both the show and in real life is that the Queen wasn't used to seeing such a public display of grief and it inspired a period of mourning at the palace. As Claire Foy does in The Crown, the real Elizabeth decreed that the bell in Westminster Abbey should ring for Jack Kennedy as it had for late members of the royal family. We'll never know what the women said to each other behind closed doors, but it's clear that the queen reached with deep grief and horror to the death of Jackie's husband." End quote. So what do you think? Isn't all this very interesting? My conjecture is that it, it absolutely was Jackie Kennedy, the real Jackie Kennedy in the limo on Air, and on Air Force One wearing the pink Chanel suit. Perhaps even an MK Ultra Jackie Kennedy during the events of November 22nd, 1963. The question being, if MK altered, MK altered by whom? JFK, the US Navy, Office of Naval Intelligence, the Brits, the French, the CIA, OSS, someone else, and if someone else who? Dr. Max Jacobson, AKA Dr. Feelgood perhaps, given his background, the Germans, the Israelis, another doctor, who? Who would have MK altered Jackie Kennedy? So what do you think? A real possibility? Feasibility? Given the day's events? So again, I highly rec recommend for those that have not seen it to watch and watch very closely. Based on all my previous conjectures as to who the real, our real chief coordinator, orchestrator was, further substantiated with what we just previously reported, including the supposed phone call made in the UK just prior to the assassination attempt, and now this Netflix series, seems more and more is becoming clearer regarding the possibilities and feasibilities and finally addressing all those unanswered questions over decades now. So given what JFK admits, who was really in control? My questions include who was Alan Dulles and others really working for? Who has the power to cover it up? Who, given my previous conjecture that OSS and still to this day is still operating 
as it really never was terminated. And given that OSS was always a British construct, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, my conjecture is and remains that British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was heavily involved, if not indeed the chief coordinator for the November 22nd, 1963 JFK assassination attempt. But was there more than one? And as my conjecture is and remains that JFK was not assassinated on November 22nd, 1963, JFK was not only alive, but very much involved in bringing to justice the coordinator, the coordinators, orchestrator, orchestrators, for his, the President of the United States of America's very own assassination attempt. Former British Prime Minister, honorary U.S. citizen, Winston Churchill dies on January 24, 1965 in London, England. Particularly interesting that there was no U.S. law at the time regarding the killing, assassinating of the President of the United States of America, despite the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln and others. Who would have known that fact? What would assume the law had already been passed by Congress? Definitely a co-conspirator. Wouldn't you agree? Like J. Edgar Hoover, perhaps? Given his background and my previous remarks regarding Hoover, perhaps, and given the timeline of events, the timing of his passing. And given my previous conjecture regarding the Lincoln assassination as well, given my conjecture as to who the, or at least a chief coordinator of JFK's assassination attempt was, are you seeing any patterns here? Given Booth's British connections as well, it's time to look at things with a whole new lens of perspective. Don't you agree? Ready to continue on to part eight? Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on 